0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning we uh, we were going on a retreat our family retreat last week i always uh i enjoy those retreats i like being uh with the church uh, in that way it's it's wonderful for me i right now i can't get out and fellowship with everybody as much as I want to. I'm going to get that fixed here shortly. But uh, I have fun nonetheless just being there. I like seeing everybody together. Unfortunately, we had a a very uh, sad weekend as well. Uh, One of our brothers passed away. And some of our folks were feeling puny. And that kind of hurt the, the flavor of the situation, but everybody else, it was amazing to me. I was so happy how everybody stepped up to keep everything going. It was it was really good. People who aren't used to doing such things stepped up, got the bull with the horns, and got the job done. And I thought that was absolutely wonderful. If you never get a chance to go on our retreats, I would, I would encourage you to do so, because I don't know, I like it a lot. I, don't, I can't think of anywhere i like to be more than with the saints. Um, it's almost, almost like being with the Lord and his people in heaven. Easter, happy Easter everybody. Everybody's looking good today. Uh, I dressed up, got a tie on and everything. Hayden uh, told me last night what to wear today. So that me and him would look alike. And we do. We got a big preacher and a little preacher. He's not preaching yet, but he's he's going to. It's just a matter of time. But uh, we're happy everybody's here this morning to worship God. Uh, it seems it seems uh, necessary to me to, at this time to talk about the life, death, and especially the resurrection of the Christ. Uh, according to uh, human beliefs, this is the day the Christ was raised from the grave. Uh, Whether or not it was, I don't know. I haven't checked the calendar, but it was somewhere around this time of year when the earth comes back to life. Things are greening, trees are budding, the birds are singing. During this period of resurrection where the world's been asleep all winter, this was the time, the general time in which the Son of God broke the bonds of death and came forth from the tomb. Some people laugh at that idea, some people live for that. Their belief in the resurrection of the Christ, their belief in life beyond the grave moves them to walk with him to the very best of their ability because they too want to live after death. Fact number one, Jesus lived. I remember when we used to have to prove this. I can't think of anybody today who would deny that fact. Uh, There's so much evidence that testifies to the fact that Jesus lived. The worst skeptics I can think of don't argue it anymore. Jesus lived. There's no doubt about it. So that's all I got to say about that. Fact number two, Jesus died. Well, I think most everybody believes that there are those of us who believe it because, number one, we accept it by faith. The Bible says Jesus died, we believe it. The rest of the world pretty much believes it because nature teaches us that everyone born will die. So if he lived, which he obviously did, he had to die, which he did also. But we'll touch on this just a little bit. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote, now this guy is no friend of Christianity. He wrote about 115 AD. Uh, he was uh, an opponent, if you will, of Christianity. He was a historian. He was a very good historian, actually. He's speaking about the Christians, said their originator, Christ, had been executed in Tiberius' reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. Okay. He died. Jewish rabbis wrote in their holy book, the Talmud. The Talmud uh, to the Jewish rabbis is more important than the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, They believe that if they live by the Talmud, uh, they're going to please God. Now what the Talmud actually is, is the writing of Jewish rabbis through the years. Some rabbi, he'd have an idea about what happened or how it happened or this, that, or the other, and he would record it in the Talmud. You had to be a certain class to be able to do such things. And this, of course, would pass down through the generations. Well, what's found in the Talmud is that Jesus of Nazareth was a transgressor in Israel who practiced magic, scorned the words of the wise, led the people astray, And said that he had not come to destroy the law but to add to it. He was hanged on Passover Eve for heresy and misleading the people. Now I find this fascinating that the rabbi who wrote this, though he professes to have deep reverence for this holy book of theirs, lied in what he wrote. Notice a few things. He said Jesus practiced magic. No, 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 no. The scribes, Pharisees, the elders, they knew Jesus worked miracles. They didn't even deny that he worked miracles. They just said, You do what you do by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. We can't deny that you're doing magical works or miraculous works, but you're doing it by the power of Satan, not by the power of God. And they wrote in the book that he practiced magic, he didn't do magic. He did bona fide miracles, but he denied. He wrote a lie in his holy book. Holy books are usually that way, though. Secondly, he said he had not come to destroy the law, but to add to it. He said, Jesus said, he did not come to destroy the law, but to add to the law. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. That's not what Jesus said, and everybody sitting here knows it. He did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Lie number two. And then he lied again. He said Jesus was hanged on Passover Eve for heresy and misleading the people. He was hanged on Passover Eve because he was a threat to Caesar. That's why he was sentenced to death. He was a threat to Caesar. The Jews condemned him to death because of blasphemy. But this rabbi, he didn't want to tell the truth because it didn't look good. So he said he was put to death because of heresy and misleading the people. It's all lies. You always keep that in mind when you read these so-called inspired volumes. Always keep in mind, there's only one inspired book in the planet, and that's God's book. The rest of them are frauds. The very fact that they claim inspiration makes them frauds. Josephus, uh, historian in his Antiquities of the Jews, Josephus said, There arose about this time Jesus, a wise man. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross on his impeachment by the chief men among us, those who had loved him at first did not cease. Think about that now. The people loved Jesus because he was a man worthy of love and he was murdered. Now, how would you feel if you'd have been his disciple? He claimed to be the son of God. He can't claim to be God in the flesh. He did miraculous works. The question everybody would have to have on their mind is why didn't he come down from the cross? Why didn't he save his life? Why didn't he continue to live? Why didn't he stay with us? Why didn't he teach us more? Why didn't he organize us better? Why did he live when things were just starting to get good? They would be angry. Peter, the apostle, he decided, I'm going back to fishing. And likewise, the rest of the apostles. Their whole world fell apart when that man died. But notice what Josephus says. Those who loved him at first did not cease why he rose from the grave and they weren't giving up on him no they're going to hold on to him for dear life and they did not meaning to sometimes atheists infidels unbelievers they add to the things we believe and they don't even mean to do it And that makes it sweeter than ever. Archaeologist Edwin Yamayuchi stated, even if we did not have the New Testament or Christian writings, we would be able to conclude from such non-Christian writings, such as Josephus, the Talmud, and Pliny the Younger, that he, that is Jesus, was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Without going to the Bible, you can prove that Jesus was hanged on the cross. During the time of Pontius Pilate, the evidence is overwhelming. Do you know there's more evidence about Jesus Christ than there is any human being in antiquity? There's more of him than there is Shakespeare, more of him than there is Plato. You pick the name, and there's more information about Jesus Christ by secular history Than there is any of them, in many cases, all of them rolled together. Now, that was no accident. The Lord knew what he was doing. He planted so much evidence in the world that we would have no choice but to believe. If we took the time to study and find out, we would have no choice but to believe. Jesus died, no doubt about it. Hugh Schoenfield, in 1965, he came up with the great swoon theory. I don't think anybody, well, I shouldn't say that. A year or two ago, I seen it on the History Channel, where they were postulating this as a possibility. It's called the swoon theory. It's pretty silly, you stop and think about it. Anyway, uh, Schoenfield said, Christ did not die on the cross, rather he merely fainted or swooned, kind of out of himself. Later, after being laid on a cold slab in the dark, whoo, he revived and exited the rock-hewn grave. That's the swoon theory. He never studied the death of Christ, obviously. Because anybody that studied the death of Christ would find it amazing, absolutely amazing, that that man lived through the scourging. And then he picked up his cross and he climbed to Golgotha. And then they nailed him to the cross, they stood him upright, and he hanged there for six hours before he expired. Anyone who spent any time with any reason studying the death of God's son would have to know that he died. He didn't swoon. There was no way he could live through it. It's a wonder he made it as long as He did. William Edwards and his co-authors penned an article and it was placed in the Journal of the American Medical Association. The title of it was On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ. They came to the conclusion that I just stated how he made it through the scourging, they do not know. How he ever made it to Golgotha, they cannot say because the man was almost beaten to death. That was done on purpose. You see, Pontius Pilate wanted to make a point. He didn't want to crucify Jesus. He wanted to let him live. But then the Jews said, well, we're gonna tell Caesar if you let him live. So Pilate, he came up with an idea. I'll make the people feel sorry for him. And he sent him out to be scourged, beaten with whips that contained bits of metal in the tips. He sent him out to be beaten and the idea was to make him look so pathetic that when he came back out in the praetorium the people would look at him and say, he's had enough, let him go. When the Romans beat people, and they were experts at beating people, when they beat people, all sorts of things happened. The, the, The whip would wrap around the body the metal would bury itself in his flesh, and when they pulled the whip back, it would just rip the skin wherever it was. A person would look shredded by the time they got done. The whip would come around their, their, their head, around their face, and it might pluck out an eye and pop it out of their head. It might hang up in their nose and pull their nose apart. It might catch them in the jaw and rip their jaw wide open. Now, Jesus was beaten to get the sympathy vote, and they beat him mercilessly. And everyone who's ever studied it in detail knows it was an absolute wonder that he lived through that beating. And that's what these physicians concluded. How he stayed alive, they could not tell. Brad Herbert Thompson co-authored an updated review of that in 2002. The title of their article is An Examination of the Medical Evidence for the Physical Death of Jesus Christ. They reached the same conclusion. He should have died when he was beaten, but he didn't. A lot of people did die when they were beaten, but our Lord apparently was very strong and he survived it. Fact number three, Jesus lived, he died, the tomb was empty, and that's the clincher right there. They buried him in a tomb, they rolled a stone in front of that tomb, stone's very heavy, probably took two, three, four men to roll that stone into place, and then they put the Roman seal around it. And they put guards there. There was at least, there were 16 or perhaps 32 guards that were posted there to look at that tomb. Jesus said, if you destroy me, I'll come back in three days. So they're going to make sure he did not. So they set a guard. The Jews, no doubt, had the praetorium guard there as well. How many, I cannot tell. But all these men were sitting there for the weekend in front of that tomb to make sure nobody came and stole that body lest the latter part be worse than the first. In AD 165, Justin Martyr in his dialogue with Trifo wrote "Well, on page 108, there was a letter that was circulating in 165 around the Jewish community And it was discussing the empty tomb of Christ. It would it baffled everybody. A hundred and thirty-five years later, and they're still talking about it. They can't figure it out. And they circulated this letter: a godless and lawless heresy had sprung from one Jesus, a Galilean deceiver, whom we crucified. But his disciples stole him by night from the tomb where he was laid when unfastened from the cross. And now he deceives men by asserting that he has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. If there was a plausible explanation why the tomb was empty, why are the Jews still circulating this letter? 130 years after the Lord was crucified, why are they still fighting it with lies and innuendo? In the sixth century, There's a a treatise referred to as Told Yeshu. Jesus is described as the illegitimate son of a soldier named Joseph Pandera. He was a disrespectful deceiver who led many away from the truth. Who came up with that idea? Joseph Pandera. Where did he get his information? Boop! He pulled it out of the air. He came up with the reason why Jesus was a fraud. He claimed to be born of a virgin, that was my boy, that was my boy. In a discussion of Jesus' death at the end of this treatise, this statement is found, a diligent search was made and he, Jesus, was not found in the grave where he had been buried. A gardener had taken him from the grave and had brought him into the garden and buried him in the sand over which the waters flowed into the garden. That was the story they came up with in the 6th century to explain away the empty tomb. Jesus lived. He died. He was buried in that tomb, but on Sunday morning, that tomb was empty. What happened? There's a lot of soldiers sitting there. What happened? All skeptics do agree on one thing, and that is the fact that the tomb was empty. Without even realizing it through their attempt to discredit Jesus, without even realizing it, they're proving that the tomb was empty and that no one had an explanation for it. How could he possibly have gotten out of that tomb? The most popular explanation, I think, is the one found in scripture. In the book of Matthew, he writes, uh, the chief priest told the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, Jesus is gone. We don't know where he went. What are we going to do? See, for them, they're going to die now. They're going to die because they let him out of that tomb. So now their neck is on the chopping block, so they've gone to the chief priest and they said, "We got a problem, man. That tomb is empty, and we don't know what happened." Well, tell tell your your supervisors that his disciples came at night <clears throat> and stole him away while we slept. That's still a crime punishable by death. But the, the chief priest said, "Well, you know, we got a lot of clout with Pontius Pilate." We'll go have a talk with him, and we'll talk him out of putting you boys to death if you'll spread the rumor that we told you to spread. Now, think about what they said. It sounds plausible. No, it sounds, it's pretty stupid, really. While we slept, his disciples came. If they were asleep, how did they know it was his disciples? There was no way for them to know that. This is the best thing they could come up with and it's absolutely foolish. That's why people accepted Jesus' resurrection in addition to the fact that they saw him, they touched him, they listened to him, and they believed in him. In Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter Stood up and said, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Now, Peter apparently is talking about him and the other 11 apostles. We all witnessed his resurrection. There were other people in the crowd that had also. But he's talking about us, the speakers, the ones you think are drunk. We all witnessed his coming forth from the tomb. But there's another sense when everybody was a witness because the tomb was empty and nobody could explain what happened to the body of Jesus. They knew he was put in the tomb and now he's gone. What happened? How is it possible that such a thing could happen? John Montgomery summarized the matter. It passes the bounds of credibility that the early Christians could have manufactured such a tale and then preached it among those who might easily have refuted it simply by producing the body of Jesus. How could they get up there and say that Jesus was raised from the dead? How did they know that somebody wouldn't present the body of Jesus to them? How could they take such a chance? They weren't taking a chance. They knew what happened and they knew where he was. Fact number four, the apostles' primary message is that Jesus was raised from the dead. This is the the greatest hope you and I have in life is that even though we have to die and we do have to die we'll live on we got a song we sang I'll live on and on yes I'll live on and on through eternity I'll live on and on that's our hope that's why we're saved We know Jesus was raised from the dead, and we know that we too can be raised from the dead if only we walk with him while we walk this earth. And this was their message, the number one point, he lives. They had to replace Judas Iscariot. There's only 11 apostles. There had to be 12. God's plan called for 12. We gotta have another apostle. So they decided to choose one more apostle out of their group. And they asked the Lord for guidance in choosing this replacement. One of these that are capable of taking Judas' place, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection They had to be able to say, I saw him when they went around the world preaching the gospel. In chapter 2 and verse 24, as they preached the first gospel sermon, Peter said, God raised Jesus up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. 900 years earlier, David had prophesied the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter said there was nothing that could have stopped it. It was going to happen. And then in verse 31, David's the speaker. For seeing this, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He came forth from the tomb before his body started to rot. C.S. Lewis, one-time atheist who set out to discredit the Bible, and he searched and he searched and he searched. And you know what happened? He came to understand that the Bible could not have been written by mere men. There had to been guidance because the things they wrote were beyond human capacity. Lewis was converted and he became a nominal Christian In the earliest days of Christianity, he wrote, an apostle was first and foremost a man who claimed to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. Wasn't the only thing they preached, but that was the message. He lives, now you can live, if you but listen to what he has to say and follow him in the way. Joseph McCabe, back in the first part of the 20th century, he's an infidel, tried everything to destroy christianity he said paul was absolutely convinced of the resurrection and this proves that it was widely believed not many years after the death of jesus now this is one of christianity's greatest enemy who admitted well he believed paul was wrong but nonetheless paul believed it and because he believed it, he lived it out. Shirley Jackson Case, another infidel of the beginning of the 20th century. There were a lot of infidels in the beginning of the 20th century. She wrote, the testimony of Paul alone is sufficient to convince us beyond any reasonable doubt that this was the commonly accepted opinion in his day, an opinion at that time supported by the highest authority imaginable, the eyewitnesses themselves. Now this is the enemies of Christ. Admitting that the evidence to his resurrection is unexplainable. And they didn't know what to do with it. Hallucination. That's what happened. Hallucination. They thought they'd seen Christ. There was Paul, or there's Peter, the rest of the apostles, there were 500. There were others, and then there was Paul. Well, why did they think Jesus had been raised from the dead? Why did they think they'd seen him and talked to Jesus? They were hallucinating. That's the, that's the reason. It was very popular in the first half of the 20th century. They're hallucinating. They thought they seen him. They believed they'd seen him, but they were hallucinating. Gary Habermas says, hallucinations are comparably rare. They're usually caused by drugs or bodily deprivation. Chances are you don't even know anybody who's ever had an hallucination, not caused by one of those two things, drugs or illness. Yet we're supposed to believe that over a course of many weeks, people from all sorts of backgrounds, all kinds of temperaments in various places, they all experience hallucinations. That strains the hypothesis quite a bit, does it not? Oh yes, it does. I don't know anybody that's ever had an hallucination. I got a cousin that did, but he was dropping acid. And he went out in the twilight zone somewhere for nine months before he came back. But I've never known anyone to have an hallucination apart from drug-induced or illness. Have you? And now we're supposed to believe that all these people at the same time had an hallucination? Well, of course it stretches the imagination. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That was the message of Paul the Apostle. First of all, I taught you, about Jesus Christ being murdered, buried, and rising from the dead. In Romans 8 and 24, he said, We were saved in this hope that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we believe we shall be too. And because we can believe, we've studied the evidence inside and out. And we know the Son of God was raised from the dead And for that reason, we gave ourselves to him. He became our Lord. He became our master. He became our savior. And that's what Paul's talking about. Number five, the apostles suffered violent deaths because they preached the resurrection. Now, most of us here probably already are aware of that. According to secular writings, All the apostles died violent deaths except for John. It appears or it seems that John may have died from old age, being the last to produce inspired volumes near the end of his life, perhaps age 90 to 93. But the rest of them, oh they died, they died awful deaths. They're recorded in various books Fox's Book of Martyrs, we've got copies of it over in our library. Fox's Book of Martyrs details of the deaths of many of the apostles. And they died very tragically, very harshly, very painful deaths by both Roman and Jew. Why? Because they believed Jesus Christ was in fact the Son of God. And they preached him raised from the dead whenever they got the opportunity. They traveled the earth, 12 men in 29 years, 29 years. And Paul the apostle could say, the gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven. In 29 years, these men were diligent and they believed and they were murdered because they believed I think, Paul said, God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sakes, but you Christians, you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you, you people, you're strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst we are poorly clothed we are beaten we're homeless because we preach Jesus and him raised from the dead we labor working with our own hands being reviled we bless being persecuted we endure being defamed we entreat we have been made as the filth of the world the offscoring of all things until now that's what these men went through and they never gave up. The late Wayne Jackson commented, while men may die out of religious deception, they do not willingly go to their deaths knowing they are perpetrating a hoax. What do you think? If these men were lying, if their message was not true, Do you honestly believe they would have went to their death rather than reveal the truth of the matter? All they had to do was deny Jesus and they would live. But 11 of the 12 would not do that. They got nothing from it and they died violently and alone. There's only one reason anyone would willingly lay down their life as those men did. They knew Jesus had been raised. They knew they too would be raised. Once they died, they would be caught up into paradise. And there they would be with their Lord again. Never to die again. Never to shed a tear again never to be naked, never to be hungry. Now that's where we are now. If you believe it, all the power of hell can't stop you. But if you don't believe it, all the power of heaven can't save you. It's up to us. If you believe that Jesus Christ is in fact God's own son who died that you so you could be forgiven of your sins and you want to become his friend. If you believe you can repent, you'll confess him and be immersed in water. You can be forgiven of your sins. As Christians, we get out of the way sometimes. Sometimes we slip and slide. Sometimes we sin. Sometimes we need help. We need our brothers and sisters to pray with us and for us that God will forgive us and accept us again as his own and walk with us every day of our life. If you want pardon from on high, peace of mind, and a hope that no one can steal,